What is going on? Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to what is a very special episode of The Proving Ground. As always, I'm your host, The Engineer. It was almost a very, very special episode. We were oh so close to hitting the elusive plus money full card sweep. But you know what? 16 units of profit is alright for an evening's work, and there's only one logical conclusion to make. And that, my friends, that is that the Year of the Dragon is one very auspicious year. So let's get into a quick recap of all the action at UFC Vegas 86 last week. The night starts out in pretty ordinary fashion. Our first bet of the evening, the Powergo Guskov fight starts round three, not even close to hitting. I knew that spot was torched in seconds. This all got me wondering if I'd been wearing enough red last night before the first leg of our chalk to cheese parlay caches with my girl Loma Lukbunmi Loma-ing all over Bruno Brazil for 15 minutes. Alright, it's early days, but we might be back. I'm calm again. But wait, you've forgotten something. What could it be? Already paid my credit card bill, so that's not it. Valentine's? No, that's days away. Robocop. It's Robocop. Gregory Rodriguez is only minutes from making the walk to the cage against none other than Brad Goddamn Tavares. And what action did I have down? Nothing. Nada. Dog ate my homework. Not to worry, I've got an ace in the hole. A chalky ace, but an ace all the same. Decision no bet, Gregory Rodriguez. Get that bad boy locked in, we're back under control. Then the Michael Johnson-Darius Flowers fight hits both our fight starts round three and fight goes to decision spots. Then Robocop is finally in the cage and just melts Tavares to cash our last minute chalk spot. Ihor Potieria and Robert Brychek hits both spots too. Still can't believe that fight hit the cards. Now we're feeling amazing. Danny Gay ruins our chalk to cheese parlay with a beautiful first round knockout of Andre Philly. Doesn't dampen the mood one bit. And then it's time for the main event. Edge of our seats the whole time. We needed this fight to go long. Pfeiffer isn't throwing volume, but he's throwing bombs. Hermanson's striking defense was on point, and he definitely got the vibe that Pfeiffer was pacing himself. And gradually, Hermanson's striking defense evolved into offense, and Pfeiffer, who was hooking rather than jabbing, went back into his shell. It was competitive throughout, and there were spots where I was worried for Jack, but ultimately, Joe wasn't able to measure up to the veteran test, and Hermanson goes home with a huge win under his belt. These two warriors lasted the full 25, cashing our spot on fight hit rounds 4 and fight hits round 5, and for those of you lucky enough to be in the know, as you know, we also took fight starts round 3, so that cashed too. All told, we were up 16 units for the evening, and feeling very good about the Year of the Dragon. But there's another 51 weeks of the year to go, so we'll leave the victory lap there for now. Let's get into UFC 298. This is the Proving Ground. Let's find out. In the main event, we have Alexander Volkanovsky, your favourite at minus 130, against Ilya Teporia, the slight underdog sitting at plus 105. And did I mention, this is for the featherweight championship of the world. Hasn't this fight really built over the last few weeks? Out of nowhere, there's some real heat on this one. You get the feeling that Tapuria sees himself as the champion already. He's almost annoyed that he has to go through the formal process of actually beating Volk. He just wants to get it out of the way. Volk, on the other hand, seems to have bounced back really well following his loss to Islam Makachev in a failed second tilt to capture the lightweight title. Volk seems back to his old self, dialed in, confident, completely unfazed by anything. I think we've all seen the video that Volk put out this week. Hilarious. 
If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look it up. Now let's talk about the elephant in the room. Everyone is saying that Volk's age is a factor. He's lost a step. He's past his peak. Father time is undefeated and maybe he's come for Volk. And he's just been brutally knocked out at lightweight only three months ago. I'm willing to listen to these arguments, but looking at Volk these past couple of weeks, he looks to be in rare form. Back to his old self even. Father Time is undefeated for a reason, but if anyone can extend their run a little longer than they probably should, it's Alexander Volkanovsky. Maybe I should have said the elephants in the room, plural. The other factor getting a lot of airtime is the mental state of Volk, which has never before been called into question. Volk's admission that he was drinking throughout his fight camp against Islam Makachev have been brought up time and time again. Look, I don't disagree that we're closer to the end and the beginning of Volk's run. And as we continue in that direction, that will inevitably lead to discussions about where Volk is at and how he stacks up today versus a few years ago. I just don't think we're at the point where the answers to these questions are unknown. I'll need to see some real evidence of Volk's decline before I start believing it. And I mean, more than losing a short notice fight, upper weight class to someone that many would consider the greatest fighter in the world today. Volk is a demon on the feet, a nightmare for his opponents. He has speed, accuracy, power, technique, intuition, defense. Let me run through some statistics for you. Significant strikes landed per minute, 6.2. How many absorbed? 3.4. That's a widespread, my friends. But okay, I know what you're going to ask. Can my man grapple? Well, he doesn't have the highest takedown accuracy, but what he does have is almost two takedowns landed per 15 minutes, coupled with a 70% takedown defense rate. Only three submission wins on his record, but that sits on top of 13 wins by knockout. In his 15 UFC starts, the only fight in which he has been outstruck was last time out when he was knocked out in the first round by Islam Makachev. The man has beaten Max Holloway three times. Yay Rodriguez, Chan Sung Jung, Brian Ortega, Jose Aldo, Chad Mendez, and a laundry list of others. So yes, other than the man being 35 and losing in ugly fashion his last time out against the best fighter in the world, upper weight class on short notice, I'm going to need to see some evidence of a Volk decline. Okay, I hear you say. What about his opponent? Ilya Taporia is a star. The way the man walks, the way he carries himself, the aura that he exudes. He really feels it's just a matter of time before he is the featherweight champion of the world. And I don't disagree. But Ilya doesn't yet have the resume of Volk. And how could he? But he does have wins over Josh Emmett, Bryce Mitchell and the like. Ilya is not afraid to take a risk. We saw this when he faced a short-noticed opponent, upper weight class, in Jai Herbert. Jaya clocked Ilya in the face with a flush head kick that would have put a lesser man to sleep. Ilya survives, then proceeds to clean the clock of Herbert. We're talking an all-time scary knockout here. Let's get into the stats. Ilya also has a favourable striking differential. 4.4 significant strikes landed per minute versus 3 absorbed. 2 takedowns every 15 minutes, with a takedown defence rate of 92%. In terms of his skill set, the striking is on point. His boxing looked on another level against Emmett last time out. Meanwhile, 8 of his 14 wins have come by submission. 
Fight IQ and finishing instincts, well, his 14 wins and 0 losses, with 12 of those 14 wins coming by finish. Durability, well, we just talked about the Jai Herbert head kick. If there's a weakness in his game, we haven't seen it. And that's my issue with this fight. Look, clearly I have some bias towards Volk, but I do think Ilya is fantastic. I really do believe that he's the next long-term champion of this division. But I've seen zero evidence of Volk falling off. I've seen no evidence of Ilya beating top-tier competition. I have my views on Emmett and Bryce Mitchell and where they're at in their careers. I have no doubt that one day Ilya will reign over this division, but he doesn't have the strength of schedule to prove that his reign begins on Saturday. Will I be shocked if Ilya wins? No, but will I be surprised if he makes it look easy? Very. But will I be surprised if Volk wins a tough, gritty decision or perhaps even scores a late finish to make the youngster wait his turn before ascending to the throne? Not even sort of. So give me Alexander Volkanovsky to win this fight. In terms of the money lines, they're set pretty fairly. At one point, I thought these lines were about to flip and would be getting plus money on Volk, but no such luck. If you're looking to get action down on this fight, an early finish by Ilya or a late finish by Volk could be your best bets. And in the co-man event, we have Robert Whittaker at minus 250 versus Paulo Costa at plus 195 in the middleweight division. This fight has been flying under the radar. Rob is one of the all-time greats of this division. The man's resume is unbelievable. Costa, meanwhile, is a social media star. But more importantly, inside the cage, the eraser is truly terrifying. And given how inactive he's been in recent years, it's a rare treat to see him inside the octagon. But let's get into the analysis. On the Whitaker side, Bobby Knuckles, the Reaper. The man does not get the respect he deserves. Robert Whitaker has not lost a fight against someone not named Israel Adesanya or DDP in 10 years. Let that simmer for a little bit. The man is a former longtime middleweight champion of this very middleweight division. Okay, my man has a resume, but what do the numbers say? 4.5 significant strikes landed per minute, only 3.4 absorbed. Striking defense of 60%. Not that many takedowns, but a takedown defense rate of 82%. You're just not going to lose too many fights with stats like that. And by the way, Whitaker is still only 33 years old. But standing across the cage from him will be an absolute nightmare. Paolo Costa will walk down any man alive, except for Izzy for some reason. That's the one that got away for Costa. You have to think that the inactivity will be starting to wear on Costa. From 2018 to 2022, Costa fought only once per year. In 2023, we didn't see him once. When Costa does manage to get inside the cage, the results are usually good. An active and accurate striker, Costa lands 6.5 significant strikes per minute, although the defense is a little bit lacking. He eats almost that many himself. He has solid takedown defense and has never been submitted. Last time out, back in August of 2022 against Luke Rockhold, we saw a 15-minute war that felt like the full 25. Not sure why they made these gentlemen fight at altitude, but we saw the younger fighter Costa outstrike, outgrapple, and ultimately outlast Rockhold in a fight that let us see just how deep these men could dig. If we look at where Costa has struggled, remembering he's only ever lost two fights, it's against someone durable enough to stand up to his physicality, who can stay busy and pull ahead on the cards. 
That's what happened against Marvin Batori. Or someone who just freezes him, someone so wily, so defensively sound, that Costa just doesn't know what to do with them. That's what happened against Izzy, where Izzy was able to keep Costa on the outside and pick him apart before dropping him late in the second round. Look, I'm a Costa fan. The man is extremely entertaining. And I'm not here to cast aspersions, but let me ask you this. Who is the best win on Costa's resume? An aging Luke Rockhold coming out of retirement for one final dance inside the octagon? An already aged Yoel Romero? Uriah Hall? Beyond that, it's starting to get a little bit sketchy. I'm not saying his run is smoke and mirrors. I'm just saying I'm not sure he's beaten someone who is a ranked opponent at the top of their game. That, coupled with the inactivity, leaves me with more questions than answers. Let's compare that to Whitaker's resume. He beat Marvin Batori, where Costa fell short. He beat Kelvin Gastelum. He beat Jared Canyonier. He beat Romero just like Costa did, but he beat him twice. He also lost to Izzy twice. And last time out, we saw Bobby Knuckles get rolled by none other than Drickus Duplessis. That was shocking to the MMA community at the time. But that loss, of course, is now aging like a fine wine. It's still very fresh in the mind of fans. So how will the fight play out? On the Whitaker side, there will of course be questions around his durability post the DDP incident. But I don't read too much into this. DDP is a very violent man, and the reality is, if Costa cracks Bobby Clean, he's probably going down. That would have been true before the DDP fight as well, and it's certainly true now. Here's what does concern me. Whitaker hasn't finished an opponent since 2017, and the prospect of having to survive three full rounds against a motivated, rejuvenated Paolo the Eraser Costa, that does leave me wringing my hands a little. Look for Rob to stay on the outside, racking up points, timing his entry flurries to do damage before escaping back to the outside. If he needs to go to the wrestling, it'll be there for him. If Costa looks for the takedown, Bobby should be able to keep the eraser off him. If he gets cracked, he gets cracked. Costa's paths to victory are a KO or a hard-fought decision that sees him land the heavier shots to carry the day. If you look through the cycle, there are a few men better placed to survive 15 minutes being locked in a cage with Paolo Costa than Bobby Knuckles, so give me Robert Whittaker to win this fight. There is a decent edge on the Costa money line here, but even more so on his KO prop. First round KO looks decent also. And in the next fight, we have Jeff Neal at plus 185 versus Ian Gary, your favourite at minus 233 in the welterweight division. Here we go, folks. It's happening. These two were supposed to settle their differences in mid-2023, but Neil was forced to withdraw from the fight due to a medical issue. Gary always attracts attention, and then he holds that attention for a very, very long time. Someone says a bad word about my man Gary, someone rubs him the wrong way, and we're hearing about it for months. The man has feuded with almost every notable middleweight on the UFC roster plus a few people in other weight classes too, for good measure. Ian can hold a grudge. Now, this might be a little bit annoying for the rest of us, but I don't know if it's a bad thing for Ian Gary. On multiple fronts, people know Ian Gary, more so for his performances outside the cage than in. But also, the in-cage results have been good. 
an undefeated overall record, a perfect 6-0 start to his UFC career, including wins over Neil Magny and Daniel D. Rod Rodriguez. Maybe all this emotion is part of what drives him, and it's been consistent, so I say let it ride. If that's what's driving him to land 6.7 significant strikes per minute whilst absorbing only 3.6, or to maintain a 75% takedown accuracy rate, if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And on the Neil side, I'm a fan of Jeff Neil. I've enjoyed the MMA community finally giving him his due. The man looked incredible in his victory over Vincente Luque. And he went deep into the final round against Shavkat Rachmanov, Rachmanov last time out. I mean, he was less than a minute away from surviving to the judges' scorecards against Shavkat. But when I dig into the numbers, he has a negative striking differential. He's also not an active grappler, although he does have very good takedown defense. Jeff Neal leans on two things. Power and good old-fashioned physicality. Neal can line you up, hold you in place, and crack you upside your face. Not a bad combination. And that's his win condition here. Putting Gary away if he can find him, or doing enough damage to secure the nod after 15 minutes. Gary has looked a little chinny on occasions but the man's undefeated for a reason. A puncher's chance is not enough to favour Neil in this spot, so give me Ian Gary to win this fight. At the window, the money lines are spot on, so you'll have to dig a little deeper for action here. Fight not to go the distance or Gary by KOTKO look interesting to me. Moving to the bantamweight division, we have your favourite, Mirab Dewashwili at minus 277 versus Henry Cejudo with a comeback on your underdog at plus 180. I've been saying it all week, folks. UFC 298 is stacked, and I can prove it to you. Mirab versus Cejudo is not the main event of this card. It's not the co-main event. It's not even the fight after that. This is real close to being a main card opener here, folks. Two men who this week find themselves closer to headlining at a comedy club rather than a UFC pay-per-view event. I should have introduced this fight as the internet's favourite MMA comedian versus the undisputed king of cringe. I love this fight, folks. Mirab lost his first two UFC fights before winning his next nine in a row. We're one fight away from a dime piece here, ladies and gentlemen. Worth noting, by the way, that those nine wins include only one by finish, or zero by finish against anyone not named Marlon Magic Moraes. Enormously positive striking differential. 6.5 takedowns per 15 minutes? Is that possible? That, my friends, is Mirab Duashwili. On the Cejudo side. Cejudo, of course, was one round on one scorecard away from winning back the bantamweight championship of the world last time out. The Olympic gold medalist. If you look at Cejudo's numbers, they're like a dialed-down version of Marab's. Positive striking differential? Yes, but not by as much. Two takedowns per 15 minutes? That's not 6.5. But what are we missing in these numbers? Power. Finishing instinct. The ability to find your opponent and put them away. Henry's last three wins are by TKO. Here's how I see the fight playing out. Marab will wrestle. Henry will defend. Mirab will then land volume. Henry will then land power. The finishing upside is on Henry here, and given the above, I think the same is true of the decision. Give me Henry Cejudo to win this fight. 
In terms of money lines, all the value is on Cejudo here, so play on player. There's upside on Cejudo by KO also. And in the next fight, in the middleweight division, we have your favorite, Anthony Fluffy Hernandez at minus 204 versus Roman Kopolov at plus 163. I think this is my favorite stylistic clash of the night. Roman Napoleon Dynamite Kopilov is a delight to watch inside the cage. His unassuming aura and unique look combined with an unusual ability to end his opponent's evening out of nowhere. I'm talking a KO of Alessio De Shikirio. Body kick and punches to finish Punahale Soriano. A head kick to put a permanent part in the hair of Claudio Ribeiro. Or a punch to the body to make Josh Framed just disappear. And by the way, what I have mentioned above is basically his only win condition. You can see why this man intrigues me. On the other side, Hernandez is also a decision machine. But my man Fluffy gets it done in a very different way. Relentless grappling, relentless cardio, that's seen him win his last four fights. Fluffy lands almost seven takedowns per 15 minutes. Unreal. And this is what the fight swings on here. Kopilov has a takedown defense rate of 92%. If Roman gets the fight to the ground, we're done. I don't mean he'll necessarily submit Kopilov, but there'll be mat returns and further takedowns to follow. If he can't, Kopilov's live to win this fight. Fluffy would still have a chance to win on the feet through volume, but Kopilov will always be live for that one-shot kill switch. I personally think the offensive wrestling of Fluffy may eventually overwhelm the takedown defense of Kopilov due to the second Fluffy weapon that we mentioned, cardio. I won't be shocked if Fluffy gets slept by an awkward but devastating blow from Kopilov, but give me Anthony Hernandez to win this fight. At the window, there's value on the Kopilov money line, but if you're taking my man Roman, you'd better be playing him by KO TKO. Moving to the women's strawweight division, we have Amanda Lemos, your favorite at minus 132 with the comeback on Mackenzie Dern at plus 106. I cannot wait for this fight. On the one hand, you could think of Amanda Lemos as someone who is tailor-made to defeat Mackenzie Dern. She's powerful, fast, athletic, dangerous. She's only lost once by submission, a nasty standing arm triangle choke at the hands of Jessica Andrade. But let's dig a little bit deeper into the numbers. She does have a negative striking differential. We saw this cost her in the fight against Whaley Jang last time out. That shouldn't cause her too many problems here, of course. But she only has a 55% takedown defense rate. That may be more of a factor. And on the Dern side, look, Dern also has a negative striking differential. We know what we're dealing with here. She won't want to stand and trade with Lemosh, who also has an advantage in terms of power. But here's where things get interesting. Lemosh is there to be taken down. But Mackenzie Dern, the jiu-jitsu wizard, cannot get a takedown to save her life. My girl has a 14% takedown accuracy. And as we all know, when the fight does hit the floor, we're often left wanting, as Dern struggles to lock in the submission that we all know she's live for. Dern is durable though. In fact, her TKO loss last time out against Jessica Andrade was the first time she's ever been finished. She might be blocking punches with her face, but she usually blocks them well. And I do worry that this fight could turn out to be very similar to Dern's fight against Andrade. 
To be clear, I do think Mackenzie Dern is a much better fighter than she was a couple of years ago, but I don't like this stylistic matchup for her. So give me Amanda Lemos to win this fight. As far as money lines go, they're set pretty tight. Almost no value on either side. An early finish or a submission win on either side is much better value to me. And moving to the men's heavyweight division, we have your favourite Marcos Rogerio de Lima at minus 143 with a comeback on Justin Badman Tafa at plus 116. Here we go again, folks. For almost every fight on this card, I'm tempted to say this is my main event of the evening. And this fight is no exception. De Lima just fills me with joy. He's a big man with big man energy. He's had some very entertaining wins in recent years and a few sketchy losses. Let's try and find some patterns here. He lost to Derek Lewis, Bulagoy Ivanov, Alexander Romanov. Big, physical men who happen to be extremely durable. And yes, I include Derek Lewis in this, despite the run he's been on lately. I mean, he did just survive five rounds against Jailton Almeida. Delima is an active and effective striker, extremely athletic for his size, and an active wrestler and grappler. Speaking of durable, Tafa has only been finished once against Jorgen de Castro in 2019. I don't think that fight would go the same way today. All of Tafa's seven wins are by KO. The man has never won a decision in his life. And that brings us to his win condition here. It's by knockout. He's more active on the feet than Delima, but Delima will have a huge advantage in the grappling department. If Tafa can't knock him out, despite the volume advantage, I struggle to see Tafa winning a decision here, given that Delima can probably get the fight to the ground if it goes long. So Delima has the broader skill set, more paths to victory, and an edge in the athleticism department. Tafa could easily land a nuclear bomb that ends Delima's night early, but if we see this one go into deeper waters, give me Marcos Rogerio de Lima to win this fight. At the window though, there's quite an edge on Tafa. But if you're taking Tafa, look for his KO or round one KO prop to squeeze that extra juice. Moving to the men's bantamweight division, we have Rinya Nakamura, your minus 1250 favourite against Carlos Vera with a comeback at plus 750. Golly gosh. Should Nakamura be a minus-1250 favourite against anyone? For those of you keeping score at home, that's a 93% implied win probability. Not much margin for error here, folks. I think you'll see Nakamura as a popular parlay piece this weekend, but God help my brothers and sisters out there taking him straight. Nakamura only has eight professional fights, including two in the UFC. Not sure that going to a decision against Fernie Garcia qualifies you to be a minus-1250 favourite against anyone. His striking, takedown and grappling statistics are excellent though. He just hasn't yet faced a level of competition where this could be properly tested. And I'm not sure Carlos Vera is the one to do it. Vera is making his UFC debut at age 36 in the extremely unforgiving bantamweight division. He did not have a successful run on the Ultimate Fighter, getting bundled by Brad Katona in the first round of the series. I don't think Vera is a bad fighter by any stretch, but he'll be outmatched and outgunned by, by Nakamura in this spot. So give me Rinya Nakamura to win this fight. At the window, of course, you guessed it, the value is on Carlos. I'm not sure how it would be possible to have an edge on Nakamura given the odds here. 
If you're looking to play Nakamura, an early finish is probably the move, and if you're feeling really frisky and looking to throw a dart in the direction of Vera, don't be greedy. Just look for the money line. For me, I'm taking a risk. A big, big risk. Give me fight goes to decision at plus 190. And in the light heavyweight division, we have your favourite Mingyang Zhang at minus 127 with the comeback on Brenson Ribeiro at plus 102. I really enjoy Zhang fights. The man is a beast. Win, lose or draw, the man is out there swanging and banging, walking you down and getting in your face. 16 wins, 16 finishes. And here in his UFC debut against Brenson, the gorilla Ribeiro, another man making his UFC debut, and another man who's only ever won by finish. What's my analysis for this fight? The mountain tiger versus the gorilla? My prediction is violence. This one should not see the judges' scorecards. Not a lot of data for me to analyse here, folks, so as far as I can tell, the money lines are well set. Look for an early finish on whichever side you happen to be leaning if you want to play a side. And in the welterweight division, we have Josh Quinlan at plus 148 with your favourite Danny Barlow sitting at minus 185. Josh Quinlan has one win, one loss from his two UFC starts. My man Josh does not have a favourable striking differential. Let's just leave that one there. The takedown accuracy and defence are a little suspect too. Danny will have a 7-inch reach advantage. Whilst he's making his UFC debut, Barlow looks to have all that Quinlan can handle and more. Again, not a lot for me to analyse here folks, so give me Danny Barlow to win this fight. The money lines are set tight, so once again, an early finish on either side could be your move if you're looking to find value at the window. And in our second last fight of the night, or as the bout order reads, the second fight of the evening, we have Oban Elliott at minus 333 versus Valentin Woodburn at plus 250 in the welterweight division. Another UFC debutant here in Oban, the Welsh gangster. It's a strange resume that he has. A decision-heavy victory record, but his only two losses are by knockout. And his opponent, Val Woodburn, has one UFC start to date, fighting none other than Bo Nickel at UFC 290 in July last year. Look, again, not a lot of data for me to analyse here, folks. It's clear Woodburn is being set up to be fodder for Elliot, but I don't have enough data to feel confident in anything here. I'll side with Elliot to win the fight, but the value is in Woodburn in this spot. So for our official bet, given the durability of Elliot, give me fight goes to decision at plus 178. And for our final breakdown of the night, we have in the women's flyweight division, Andrea KGB Lee at plus 150 versus your favorite, Miranda Maverick at minus 189. I'm not sure about the card placement here, folks. Andrea KGB Lee, in her 11 UFC starts, has never been finished. Lee may have lost her last three starts, but her stats speak for themselves. Strongly positive striking differential, an active wrestler and grappler. She's probably just lacking that one signature win, and at age 35, there's a chance it's getting away from her. And who is her opponent here? Miranda Maverick. Miranda has beaten everyone she should have in her UFC run to date. But she's struggled against the upper echelon, Jasmine Jazdavicious, Aaron Blanchfield, Macy the Future Barber. 
Her stats are solid, a positive striking differential, two and a half takedowns per 15 minutes, although she is prone to getting taken down herself. I think this fight is simple. Is Andrea Lee at the level where she will pose problems for Maverick? I think Maverick will be tested against the veteran Lee, but look for Maverick to outclass Lee down the stretch and take one more step on her road towards the title. Give me Miranda Maverick to win this fight. The value here in terms of money lines is squarely on the shoulders of Andrea Lee. If you're looking to play Maverick, stay away from the money line and instead look for a finish prop. Look, I know Andrea Lee is durable, so it's far from a sure thing. But if you're looking for value on Maverick here, you're going to have to dig pretty deep. Alright folks, I know what you're thinking. A little light on with bets this week, and you're right. But that's what happens when you're disciplined on value. I don't like to force things. But in the interests of science, I will force one bet for you now. The chalk to cheese parlay. And I warn you, this week it's absolutely filthy. We've had to dig deep here, folks. Five legs this week. Five legs is what it took to get us to plus money territory. This week we have for you Andrea Lee versus Miranda Maverick. Fight starts round two. Runya Nakamura, money line. Amanda Lemosh versus Mackenzie Dern. Fight starts rounds two. Marab versus Sahudo. Fight starts round two. Alexander Volkanovsky versus Ilya Taporia. Fight starts round two. All of the above, the pacifist parlay, if you will, is paying out at plus 105. Would I tell this bet? Absolutely not. I'm not an idiot. But what I will do, what I will do is place this bet for you, the Proving Ground community, because if we're here for anything, it's for the vibes. And I'm not going to leave you without a chalk to cheese parlay. So watch me swim out into deep waters, wish me luck, and pray for my safe return. To recap, our official bets for this week under the fearless plus money strategy are Nakamura versus Vera, fight goes to decision at plus 190. Elliot versus Woodburn, fight goes to decision at plus 178. And our chalk to cheese parlay this week, paying out at plus 105. That's it for now, folks. Don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe. On X, the underscore engineer MMA. On YouTube, at The Proving Ground MMA. Find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or reach me by email engineer at theprovinggroundmma.com. Best of luck with your bets and let's find out.